0: It's early spring in Iowa, 2019. The Herbert Hoover Presidential Library and Museum is preparing for a new exhibition. Hoover
1: had spent some time in the Middle East and in Egypt, and also he was a classicist, so the thinking was, Won't it be exciting to bring in some artifacts from the ancient Middle East, kind of highlight Hoover's time in the Middle East? This will increase the visibility of the museum, uh, make it very exciting for people locally.
0: That's Bjorn Anderson, an associate professor of art history at the University of Iowa. Bjorn was invited to speak at the exhibition and asked Aaron Daly, one of his colleagues, to join him.
1: Erin Daly, who is a graduate student in the School of Art and Art History at Iowa, uh, has a background in ancient art, and so she jumped to mind as a a really obvious person to invite uh, to give
0: a public lecture. The museum had contracted a company in Texas to provide the artifacts. Bjorn and Erin wanted an early preview before the exhibit opened to help them prepare for the lecture.
1: I wrote to the curator and asked if it would be possible for us to come in and photograph the objects before our lecture, because I thought that would kind of be more interesting for a talk if we could point to things that
0: are here in the museum. But before the two even got there, Erin Daly was already asking herself some questions.
2: I was feeling just a little bit, uh, I I was curious, I should say. Uh, Because I wondered where this private collection of ancient Near Eastern antiquities came from. Um, And I think that's something, uh, as visitors of museums, we might want to ponder, especially in the wake of the 2003 U.S.-led invasion in Iraq. You know, where did this, where did these objects come from? How did they get to the United States? Uh, At what point did they enter the United States? Who bought them? What's the paperwork? Things like that. And so I was very curious to find out more.
0: Aaron and Bjorn spent hours walking around the exhibition, photographing the wide variety of ancient artifacts that were planning to go on show and really just taking it all in. And there was quite a bit to take in.
1: They were things like bracelets, arrowheads, rings, plates,
0: amulets, Lamps. But then something caught Aaron's eye.
2: And then I stop in front of a glass case holding um, ancient
0: seals. Ancient seals are like the first stamps. They were used in the Middle East to mark property or sign documents.
2: Seals were a carved stone or gem that were often used as markers of authority or legitimacy.
0: Aaron had studied hundreds of seals in the past. but these ones
2: they knew immediately that something was a bit off, that something was suspicious.
0: The actual design on these seals, they didn't make much sense to Aaron.
2: The scene itself uh, was carved in a sort of sketch-like manner. So there was the lines looked like a pencil drawing or something. you know there was um, a sketch-like manner of carving
0: and all of the seals in this private collection, they all look really similar.
2: And that's quite odd to see the same hand at work across different time periods and across different seals, different images, etc. So that quality <laughs> um, was also a kind of red flag.
0: Bjorn agreed, something just wasn't right here. There were some things in there that seemed to be too good to be true. I'm Alzo Slade, and this is Cheap, the podcast where we ask, "Is it ever okay to break the rules?" This week, the Artifacts Exhibition. <laughs> Marty Martin is a successful playwright, a playwright who loves dinosaurs.
3: It began with a childhood fascination with dinosaurs. And uh, as a a young kid, like in grade school, I read H. Ryder Haggard's novel, Cleopatra, which opened doors uh, to ancient Egypt for me. It was just absolutely uh, fascinated me for the rest of my life. In the early 1980s,
0: Marty went to see a children's exhibition on his favorite topic. Yeah, he was in his 30s, but aren't we all kids at heart?
3: I went to see a little uh, uh, dinosaur show with the robots, the first generation of uh, robotic dinosaurs. And I saw a cast of a Tyrannosaurus Rex tooth.
0: He was awestruck.
3: I just decided I'm going to... uh, snatched that tooth and i put it under my coat and i got in the car and i drove off and about halfway home my thought was you monster <laughs> that's for children
0: so the weight of being a dinosaur tooth thief was too heavy marty decided to do a u-turn
3: so i turned the car around and drove back snuck back in and snuck the tooth out of my coat and back onto the shelf where I'd taken it from. And then I went home and I called them and I asked them where they got it. And they gave me uh, a name and, I, uh, and a phone number and I called them. And that person became one of the closest friends I've ever had for the remainder of her life. She only died a couple of years ago.
0: That chance encounter, which led to a lifelong friendship, gave Marty access to a whole new world because Marty's new friend had a particular set of skills.
3: Little by little, over a period of several years, I would find a, a, an original and get that museum to lend it to me, and she would make a mold and cast it.
0: Fossil casting is not easy. It involves creating a mold or an impression of an organism. And you can do this with just about anything.
3: It's an impression left in mud by a bone that no longer exists, but the mud turned into rock. So, you can look at microscopic images of, for example, a cast of dinosaur poop, and you can see the cellular structure from their last meal. So, we can tell by plastic casts of real fossils that this baby dinosaur ate cherries Before it died.
0: If you have the money to spend, there's nothing stopping you from, say, contacting the American Museum of Natural History and asking to borrow one of their artifacts to make your own mold. And that's exactly what Marty did.
3: I'm a professional playwright and uh, have had uh, a number of shows produced Broadway and off-Broadway, and it made a lot of money that I could have spent uh, partying or could have uh, locked it up in something uh, that's more useful.
0: Over the next five years, Marty built an impressive collection of fossils, casts, and replicas. They all came from the prehistoric world.
3: An assemblage of the first animals on Earth, prehistoric plants, uh, uh, early fishes as they progress, a scorpion from 400 million years ago that's about uh, a meter in length.
0: Tireless research, bargain hunting, and fossil casting meant that Marty got his hands on some pretty extraordinary pieces. He ended up paying to borrow artifacts from over 60 different museums worldwide, from the Smithsonian Institution in Washington to the Kenyan National Museum.
3: Early flying reptiles, early ancestors of dinosaurs, early amphibians, the first dinosaurs, then the golden age of dinosaurs, and then the last of the dinosaurs, and the tiny little mammals that lived alongside them in burrows in the ground, the very earliest examples of our ancestry.
0: And with all of this, Marty saw a business plan.
3: There's no point in having collections if you don't have a place to display them.
0: So in 1988, Marty founded the Origins Museum Institute.
3: It became a traveling museum collection. And as it grew, the shows got bigger and bigger.
0: Museums all over the world were paying Marty to loan his replicas so they could make exhibitions about the prehistoric era. Now, if you're confused and wondering why these museums don't just buy their own replicas, That's because it was cheaper to borrow Marty's than for them to pay for their own to be made.
3: Millions of people worldwide have seen them. Boston, Taichung, Taiwan, San Juan, Puerto Rico, Austin. They were at Dinosaur National Monument, tour of uh, Oklahoma. So the museum lives on in other museums under their roofs.
0: Marty loved collecting, but he wasn't exactly an archaeologist. It wasn't something he studied. He was just a man whose passion project turned into a business. And he made sure that the museums who borrowed his pieces knew that.
3: I had to go out of my way to make sure that they understood that I'm not an expert. Uh, We're an informal science museum. And uh, my knowledge of these pieces is as informal as it can possibly get. And we were not in a position to guarantee their authenticity, but that we trusted the people we bought them from who assured us that they were indeed authentic.
0: The business of lending fossil replicas was doing well. And Marty was looking to expand the next part of his collection.
3: We had this wonderful collection going and everything was replicas and decided at one point to create the collection tracing the origins of civilization from ancient Schumer all the way around the Mediterranean to Egypt.
0: The history of Schumer starts in what we know as Iraq over 8,000 years ago. Ancient Sumerians are credited for creating one of the oldest written languages in human history.
3: It goes back to the most ancient of times, and we were uh, wanting to create an exhibit of real artifacts uh, to complement all of the replicas that we had to offer.
0: So Marty started doing his homework.
3: I was researching online. The internet was very new to us at that time. I was researching for Sumerian statues, looking for ancient votive sculptures.
0: And then Marty finds his gem. The Sadi Gallery.
3: The Saudi Gallery came up uh, with pictures of just what I was looking for.
0: It was a small antique shop in New York. They advertised themselves as family owned and specializing in ancient artifacts. Marty scanned the website.
3: There was a small section for the ancient Sumerian pieces. And there were larger sections for medieval pieces. And uh, there were sections for uh, ancient Israel, just different time periods of ancient artifacts.
0: And the Sadi Gallery had a good reputation too.
3: The city of New York considered the Sadi Gallery one of the 20 places that they uh, recommended tourists to visit while in New York. So with a recommendation from the city of New York, we began doing business with them.
0: Marty spoke to the gallery's owner, Merdad Sidi, and immediately they got along.
3: He was a sweet man, very charming, very generous, and very, very likable. And uh, he understood what we were trying to do and was perfectly willing to help us.
0: Marty told Murdad all about his goal. He wanted the Origins Museum Institute to be able to showcase the very beginnings of life on Earth.
3: And uh, that led us to some beautiful examples of Sumerian sculpture, uh, some of which were for sale. And they were violently expensive, but they were marvelous to look at.
0: Scrolling through the Sadi Gallery website, Marty felt like he couldn't resist.
3: I was buying... Uh, artifacts that reflected the most ancient uh, products of uh, the early civilization in, along the Fertile Crescent, from uh, uh, Iraq all the way to, uh, basically in the end, to Rome and to Egypt.
0: These were the pieces that Marty needed to take his traveling collection to the next level.
3: Cost. All in all, somewhere between forty five and fifty thousand dollars or perhaps a little more.
0: And these weren't fossil casts or replicas like Marty's previous collections. These were meant to be the real deal.
3: We ordered marble statues and we ordered bronze figurines. We ordered uh, medical instruments from the Grecian period. We ordered uh, marble busts and coins uh, and clay oil lamps and such from Rome. And we ordered uh, early examples of uh, glass.
0: Okay, wait a minute. $50,000 for all that? Seems a bit shaky to me. but. Merdaz seemingly had authentication paperwork to back it all up.
3: I ended up purchasing for our traveling collection uh, over 100 pieces that uh, we were uh, assured were original ancient artifacts with a certificate for each one, a certificate of authenticity.
0: Once Marty had locked down all these real artifacts through Sidi, he still wanted more. One of the most famous things to ever come out of Egypt, the Rosetta Stone.
3: The Rosetta Stone is uh, one of the most significant artifacts found in Egypt. It has a proclamation translated and inscribed on it in three different languages, Egyptian modern dialect and in Greek and in hieroglyphics. And because the three inscriptions say the same thing, it was a key to deciphering the meanings of the hieroglyphs.
0: The Rosetta Stone, you got to understand how big of a deal this thing is. When it was first discovered, nobody knew how to read ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs, but scholars could read Egyptian modern dialect and ancient Greek. So this stone slab became a real valuable key in deciphering the hieroglyphs. But unfortunately for Marty, The Rosetta Stone was locked up in the British Museum in London. Marty reached out to them to see if they would make him a replica.
3: They told me that uh, it was probably never going to ever happen that they would pour materials on the Rosetta Stone again to make a mold of it so that it could be cast and reproduced. But then? Several years later, the curators of that department contacted me calling from London and they uh, asked me if I was still interested I said well no I've changed my mind (laughs) of course I was so they wanted to offer it to me because I had been on a waiting list for so long and I was thrilled to death and I bought it on the spot
0: You got to remember, it was five years prior when Marty made a large purchase from the Sidi Gallery in New York, objects that also painted a picture of the ancient world. So Marty did what any good businessman would do. He decided to find a way to combine all of these new purchases.
3: When you find yourself in possession of a Rosetta Stone replica, you find yourself landed with an enormous responsibility. So I had to find some way to adequately get this into the public's hands. Once we received the Rosetta Stone from the British Museum, we decided to create a new a new exhibit and we combined it with the many artifacts that we had bought from the Saudi Gallery and uh, was now the written-in-stone exhibit, the, the main showpiece being the Rosetta Stone.
0: In 2007, Marty started taking the written-in-stone exhibition on tour.
3: They've been to Florida on display in El Paso. They were displayed in, uh, it was either Utah or Nevada.
0: Marty was ecstatic to be able to share his latest purchases with the rest of the
3: country. The collection from all of those ancient places was one of the most marvelous things that that could possibly have happened to our little museum. And certainly, uh, we were very proud of it and very excited to own them.
0: Then, in 2018, Marty got a call from the Herbert Hoover Museum. They wanted the Written in Stone exhibition to come to Iowa.
3: They treated this as if, as children would treat Santa Claus coming to their neighborhood. They dressed that museum up, made plans that were extremely, extremely detailed. It was just going to be a beautiful show.
0: Until it wasn't. Coming up after the break. When Bjorn Anderson and Aaron Daly first visited the Written in Stone exhibition at the Herbert Hoover Museum, it didn't take long before they realized that something was seriously wrong. Remember those ancient seals that first caught Aaron's eye?
2: The suspicious qualities of the seals got me thinking about provenance.
0: Provenance refers to the place and origin of something. So in ancient archaeology, it's super important that this information is as accurate as possible.
2: And immediately when I saw these objects, I started thinking, "Okay, what is the provenance here?
0: The seals in Marty Martin's collection made Erin skeptical.
2: The first thing I noticed was the date. There was a specific date, 1920 B.C. So my first question was, where did that date come from?
0: It's unheard of and practically impossible to be able to trace a seal to one precise year. I mean, ancient seals come from anywhere between 3500 BC to 32 BC. That's over 3,000 years.
2: Mm, A final sticking point was the sheer size of all of the seals.
0: Okay, so even if these ancient seals were from 1920 BC, the sizing was way off.
2: They're about two inches, the seals. Uh, And to have so many very large seals was puzzling.
0: A normal seal from this time period is nowhere near this size.
2: They're in the range of centimeters, uh, generally two to three centimeters.
0: When Bjorn and Erin left the Herbert Hoover Museum, Erin couldn't stop thinking about those dodgy-looking seals. She went home that night and did some research.
2: I just typed a few key terms into Google. (laughs) Stamp seal, steatite... 1920, large, and within a few clicks, I was at the website of Sidi Gallery.
0: As soon as Erin found the Sidi Gallery's website, she knew she had to tell Bjorn.
1: The first thing to figure out was how deep did it go?
0: Now that Bjorn and Erin knew who the supplier was for these seals, they began their own investigation.
1: It took the next 24 hours And I went through every object in the catalog and looked through Sadiq's gallery
0: for them. What Bjorn found was so much worse than they had imagined.
1: It became very clear very quickly that we weren't just dealing with seals.
0: Every last object that Marty Martin had purchased from the Sadiq gallery wasn't what it seemed. It was
1: pretty obvious as soon as Aaron reached out And as soon as I took a look, we were dealing with fakes.
0: For starters, these so-called authentic antiques that were currently sitting in the Herbert Hoover Museum were also still available to buy on the Sadiq Gallery website.
1: So I could go buy another copy of the same thing. And this is not how archaeology works.
0: No, it is not. The Sadiq Gallery's inventory was more like an eBay seller's market than an archaeology archive.
1: I found at least 11 different copies of the same statue with different finishes. He was in orange, he was in green, he was in pink, he was a t -t t
0: I mean, you don't have to be a history buff to know that ancient artifacts don't get made on some kind of factory conveyor belt. So the idea that you could purchase the exact same statue in multiple different styles seems pretty impossible to me this was
1: the obvious uh, you know unmistakable smoking gun that these are fakes that uh, you you have multiples for sale
0: and you can get them in different colors the more Bjorn dug around the Sadi gallery website the more problems he found the certificates of authenticity that Marty was given with every purchase they were another big red flag
1: The Sadiq Gallery states that each artifact will be shipped with a certificate of authenticity and documentation regarding the culture and history of your artifact. And I managed to track down one of these certificates of authenticity and it's just a piece of paper that just says, the Sadiq Gallery says this dates to this
0: period. Like this is a real Roman coin. And this piece of paper is the only kind of provenance that the gallery offers to customers. And
1: that's not really a convincing certificate of authenticity. It's just, well, according to the place I bought it, they said it was ancient.
0: If you're really serious about collecting, there are lots of ways to try and spot a fake antique. You ask yourself, is there some kind of engraving? Does the price seem too good to be true? Like $50,000 for a whole load of ancient artifacts. Do the materials match what was available at the time?
1: Collectors, whether private collectors who are legally collecting legal objects or museums, need to obviously do due diligence beyond a piece of paper where someone says, I told you so.
0: At this point, Bjorn knew he had to contact Tom Schwartz, the director of the Herbert Hoover Museum. But it was less than a week before the written in stone exhibition was due to open.
1: I wrote, Dear Tom, I'm writing at the worst possible time with the worst possible news. And went on to tell him that it appears that most, if not all of the objects in this uh, exhibit can be documented
0: as fakes. For the Herbert Hoover Museum, this was a huge embarrassment. They had spent the last year working on this exhibition. And everyone was so excited for the opening.
1: This came as an obvious and very unwelcome surprise to the director, who I don't think had any clue was coming.
0: Tom decided that the best possible solution was to cancel the exhibition altogether. So
1: he put out a press release and and did so, um, and, and that was the right call.
0: But of course, the Herbert Hoover Museum wasn't the only institution that got played here. More on that after the break.
3: The phone rang one day, uh, just before they opened, and it was the curator.
0: It was just days before Marty Martin's collection was due to open at the Herbert Huber Museum when Tom Schwartz called.
3: He said, I have some news for you. I hope you're sitting down. And I said, what? And he said, we're canceling the exhibit and we want a refund.
0: Tom Schwartz explained to Marty what Aaron and Bjorn had found and that they had no choice but to pull the plug.
3: And I was just devastated, absolutely horrified.
0: So Marty picks up the phone and makes a call to his so-called friend, Merdad Sadi.
3: Well, the museum was just a, a totally innocent, trusting bystander. And I felt it was incumbent upon me to make sure that uh, they were made whole again.
0: Marty sent his purchases back to the Sadiq gallery and asked for his money back. And Merdad agreed but Marty wanted to see the Herbert Hoover Museum compensated first, however long it took. Only then did he want his own refund back.
3: I told him at the time to please uh, apply every bit of the uh, refund that he can directly to the museum. And when he was finished making them whole again, if there was anything left owing, then I would uh, appreciate that being sent along to me. Because I wanted the museum taken care of first, I have other exhibits. I don't know how often they uh, uh, lose an exhibit on that scale, so I didn't want to leave them, you know, with a gushing artery.
0: But Marty never received his money. In fact, he never heard from Merdad Sadi or the Herbert Hoover Museum again.
3: So I have two things to assume. One, he's faithfully paying them back what they were out, and they're happy with that. Or he's not, and they have written it off. I don't know which. And since no one has contacted me to let me know, I just kind of, uh, I, you know, it took me a while to uh, get over thinking about it twenty-four hours a day.
0: Our producer reached out to the Herbert Hoover Museum. But nobody responded. As for Marty, he'd been well and truly duped. And what's worse, he thought the owner of the Sadi Gallery was someone that he could trust.
3: I felt uh, uh, badly abused and uh, very disappointed and, and betrayed. Uh, because uh, the, the gentleman I bought them from has been a friend. Uh, uh, I like him very much. He's been a friend for decades
0: but Marty didn't report the crime. Instead, all he wanted was to try and put the whole ordeal
3: behind him. I didn't look at it that way. I didn't think I don't want to call the police actively. I didn't think to. It wasn't uh, It wasn't uh, on my mind to call the police. And the money? I don't know if I'll ever be compensated for it. So the whole thing has been uh, heartbreaking enough that I've never bothered to try and look it up online and revisit any of it since then. And uh, it comes to a point that you just want to wash your hands and walk away. And
0: Marty was able to walk away from it all. That is, until 2021, when he got yet another unexpected call.
3: I received a, a telephone call from the office of the district attorney of New York.
0: Merdad Saidi had been arrested for seven felony counts, including forgery and grand larceny.
3: That's like being kicked in the stomach by a horse and all the air goes out of you. You just don't know, you know, you try to get your breath back.
0: Other dealers brought Merdad Saidi to the attention of the city's law enforcement. The Chief of District Attorney's Antiquities Trafficking Unit said Merdad Saidi had been overlooked for years.
3: They told me that he maintained a room in the Upper floors, of a little room in the back where he manufactured the ancient goods, and uh, it had paint and tools and clay and dirt from you know dirt from in Egypt and dirt from uh, uh, Israel and stuff like that.
0: Merdad Sadi has spent the last four decades making and selling thousands of objects that he promised came from the ancient world, but in reality, they have been made in an attic in 21st century Manhattan.
3: He would uh, paint them himself and that he would uh, create patinas on them using chemical reactions.
0: Patina is a green or brown film or gloss on the surface of old metal and bronze. It usually appears naturally with age over a long, long period of time.
3: And uh, uh, sprinkling them with dirt from the region or clay from the region and uh, making them look very, very old. And they were very skillfully done. I mean, they were were skillfully done. After the
0: arrest, the Sadi Gallery closed immediately. Merdad Sadi was found guilty and sentenced to five years probation. He was also banned from being involved in the sale of antiques ever again. Aaron Daly believes this case speaks to a wider issue in the world of collecting artifacts
2: everyone involved in the art market, from amateur collector to billionaire collector, from local museum to massive encyclopedic museum. This issue of provenance is one that affects all of these institutions. And I think a more transparent, a more concrete approach to provenance and documentation can help resolve these kinds of issues.
0: And as far as Aaron is concerned, if someone, anyone, is buying artifacts that claim to be authentic, it needs to come with a certain level of responsibility.
2: It fuels an art market, both legitimate and illegitimate, to sell and to offer objects that are ungrounded, that, are, that lack provenance.
0: And listen, you don't have to be an art historian or an antique collector to care about this stuff. You could just be someone who likes going to museums on the weekend.
2: We go to museums to learn about history, but we must always be aware of the modes and methods that go into the construction of the history that is presented. And in this case, I hope it becomes clear that the skills of close looking, or as we say in art history, connoisseurship, can help create a better world to study and enjoy and appreciate art.
0: It's clear to me that Marty Martin had a passion for history, and he intended on sharing some pretty extraordinary pieces with the world. At some point, your spidey senses have to tingle, and you got to realize that something just ain't adding up here. It's like going to a retail store, finding a belt that you've been told is one of a kind, and then you turn around, and the very next rack, there's the exact same belt, just in a different color. I mean, really? There's some things that are just too good to be true, like a parking spot right where you need it to be, a letter in the mail saying you've won a bunch of money, or in Marty's case, a boatload of ancient artifacts for the low, low price of $50,000. Trust those spidey senses. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat but better. It's just $2.99 a month. Or if you're in the UK, two pounds 49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat.
1: The story is so unusual. It's, it's really messed up and very sad when you think about it. This man managed to dupe scores of women who were just innocently going out on what they thought was just an innocent date and ended up with a guy who buttered them up told them everything that they wanted to hear, ordered food, and then just
0: left. Cheat is presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Olivia Cope. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Megan Dietrich. The original idea for the show was developed by Tom Fuller. Mixing and scoring by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Kyra Asabe Bonsu is our associate producer. Special thanks to the Sony legal team. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Ekbatola.